0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The role of the court jester, of the fool, could be found in ancient Rome and in the courts of Europe, and it can also be found in our churches. If Shakespeare was right, and all the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players, most of us would probably want to be the protagonist, the the ingenue, the hero, someone with main character energy. But Paul, he compares Christians to the fool, the fool who runs on stage with a voice of disruption, who turns the action on its head, who speaks truth to power, Shakespeare's fools disrupted expectation, and God's fools do as well. As a teenager, my father and I went to England together, and we got tickets to see King Lear at the Globe Theater in London. The Globe is a reconstruction of the theater where Shakespeare's plays were performed. It's a circular, open-air theater with three levels of box seats that go up towards the sky, and then, In front of the stage is a standing-only area. In Shakespeare's day, the people standing in this pit on the cobblestones were called groundlings. They had their feet on the ground, while those with more money had their bottoms in actual seats. My dad and I, wanting the full Shakespearean experience and being a little bit late to buy tickets, got groundling tickets. Were we close to the action, you might ask? Well, yes, we were. Were we comfortable? No, (laughs) we super weren't. It was midday in July, and the sun was glaring down into the theater. I quickly learned why groundlings were also referred to as stinkards. I also want to mention that King Lear is a three-hour-long play. And I really like Shakespeare, but I did not like Shakespeare that day. (laughs) There were ushers carrying around poles, and if they spied anyone sitting, they would prod them with a pole to get up. The lady who was standing next to me, she literally fainted and was dragged to the edge of the theater, my dad got sunburned on the top of his head, and I wistfully looked up at the people sitting in the shade around me, enjoying the play, with their knees gloriously bent and their bottoms on cushions. You know, had we been wiser, we would have paid the extra money to enjoy the play in the shade, far away from poles that would prod us from the spit of the actor's, and from the stink of sweaty tourists. See, the groundling pit, it's not a place of comfort. It's for the lowly, the poor. It's dirty and noisy and hard, and it's where all the action is. And it's also where Jesus would be. Jesus could have sat on a velvet cushion in the gallery boxes, where he could see and be seen, his status evident. Yet he didn't cash in on his authority and sit like a king. He stood in the heat next to the butcher and the sex worker and the sweaty tourist. God chose to come down and work in and through the groundlings, those who were struggling to stand. In Jesus' ministry, he heals those who are crawling, the bent, the bleeding, He lifts the face of the shamed to meet his. He looks and he truly sees. He calls up to the one in the tree to come and meet him on the ground. We do not worship the wise, those who escape into the trees. We worship the one who was nailed to a tree. And how foolish to see power there in a fragile body hanging limp, On a cross. Like a fool, a jester, God disrupts our expectations of what power should look like. God chose what is foolish to the mind, what is weak, what is low and despised, and the mind cannot explain it. For many of us, we read and we study trying to touch a piece of who God is with our minds. And yet Paul says the world did not know God through wisdom. What we know about God runs counter to the wisdom of the world. Christ, crucified, flies in the face of expectation and explanation. Paul writes that the crucified Christ is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. God foiled the expectations of both Jews and Greeks, and Romans. And for many faithful Jews, the cross was an understandable stumbling block. Because in Deuteronomy, it says that anyone who's hanged on a tree is cursed by God. The cross was a different kind of deliverance. It looked like a curse. It looked like blasphemy. And here, Paul isn't attacking Jews and their doubts, but a problem endemic to everyone who expects God to work in a way that makes sense to them and that meets their expectations. The cross was a stumbling block for Jews and was senseless to Gentiles. Good sense and wisdom was something that was valued and pursued by Greeks and Romans alike in order to increase their social position— more knowledge meant a better reputation and more influence. Wisdom meant power. And yet the Gentiles' notion of wisdom wasn't true wisdom because it was only focused on the self. Where the, and it didn't care no matter how much it hurt others. Where the wisdom of the cross, there it served others with no regard to personal cost. What the world finds impressive and irresistible, the sensory spectacles, the demonstrations of indisputable proof, that is not what God offers in the cross. The cross looks like weakness, humiliation, and curse. And yet the cross is power. The cross is wisdom, and it's the cross that we should boast in. There was a time in my life where I read a lot of apologetics or arguments for the existence of God. I wanted to be able to squash my doubt. I wanted to be certain. And I know people who have been blessed by framing Scripture and God and the world of reason and logic. But for me, it just led to frustration. Because I still had doubts. Some days I still do. I had a a professor tell me once that if you grip on to your certainty and knowledge of God with clenched fists, it makes it impossible to receive, impossible for the movement of the spirit. And perhaps trying to pin God down through argument and dogma is truly foolish because the only place where God has ever been pinned is to the cross. Now, it's okay to pursue knowledge, to yearn to know more about God. I don't want Father Everett or Justin to think I'm saying don't go to pub theology or story group or youth group. Those are good places. You know, yearning to know more and wrestling with Scripture in community with one another, that's a good thing. Paul does not condemn reason or the desire to learn. Rather, he condemns grasping onto it in order to master it. As Christians, we are to be like fools, people who trust without full understanding, people who disrupt expectations, who speak truth to power, who boast in the Lord and not in themselves and what they know. I find comfort that God calls us, that the cross saves us not because of our intellect or our status or our understanding, but simply because God loves us. And wants to be near us. You and me were fools and were groundlings watching and participating in this divine drama that's playing out before us. And like the groundlings, we might be struggling to stay standing. Take comfort that we do not stand alone, that God stands in the heat with us too. We may be prodded with a pole because we're not to sit yet. We're not to grow too comfortable in what we know, for the story is still unfolding around us. The Holy Spirit is moving. The power and the wisdom exhibited on the cross is still saving. God is not sitting. God is moving. God is troubling the waters and upending expectations every day. In this may we boast alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.